A couple of years ago, uh, our family took a trip to the National Memorial Arboretum uh, over in Burton. And we wanted to look at some of the uh, different uh, memorials there. Uh, For those of you that don't know, it's a a memorial for uh, the armed forces. Uh, So there's lots of different uh, memorials for different branches of that. Uh, But I specifically wanted to go and see the Armed Forces Memorial, which at the Arboretum is a big memorial to all of the soldiers that were killed uh, for our country since uh, 1945. And I was looking for a specific name on that memorial. I was looking for my own name, Stephen Hope. And I found it. My name was written on this memorial. Now, as you can gather, I have not died since 1945 in a war. However, the name on the memorial was Corporal Stephen Hope, who was killed on the Falkland Islands in the battle for Mount Longdon on the 13th of June, 1982, which was just a couple of years before I was born. He was my uncle, and my name is after his. I was given his name because he died. So my name has a meaning. And for most of us, our names have meanings. In fact, all of our names have meanings. You might not know what those meanings are. But when we choose a name for our children, we choose something that uh, takes some thought, don't we? We don't just open, well, you might do this, but it's not, I've never heard it before. Open the baby book and go like this. Not many people do that. Most people buy these big baby books and go through the names and find names they like, find what that name means, uh, find how it matches the second name, which is why uh, we didn't call any of our children Noah, because uh, we liked the name until we realized Noah Hope would sound a bit ridiculous when they went to school. Uh, But we, we think about what we are doing when we choose the name of our children. And often our names do have a special meaning. Uh, Even, uh, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure, uh, making a name for yourself, which means that your name becomes known for something. But when you make a name for yourself, whether that's for good or for bad, it is not just your name that is known. What you're known for says something about you as a person, doesn't it? If your name is known for something, it is you that is known, your very self. And in the Bible, names always have meaning. Uh, Never is a name in the Bible just random and have no meaning whatsoever. So for example, there are good names like Abraham, which means father of many, father of nations, which is linked to the promise that God gave to him that he would be a father of many nations. But there are also bad names. So a prime example is the character of Nabal, whose name means fool and who was a fool in the way he acted. So the names are significant, and that is also true of God's name. God's name is not just a bunch of letters that are put together, uh, but it is joined to who he is and to what he has done. God told Moses his name in Exodus chapter 3. He says, 
that his name is I am who I am, which is where we get our word Lord, which is translated from uh, the Hebrew uh, letters of I am who I am. And in our Bibles, when the name Lord there is in capital letters, it's referring to the name of God for his people, the personal name of God, I am who I am. And this name describes who God is. He is the self-existent, eternal God. I am who I am. In Exodus chapter 34, God reveals himself to Moses. And what is interesting is that in that chapter, when God reveals himself to Moses, he says that he is going to proclaim his name. So to show himself to Moses, he does so by proclaiming his name. Listen to what is said in that chapter. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So his name that he's proclaiming to Moses points to his faithful and gracious salvation to his people. It declares who he is, what he's like, what he has done. And throughout scripture, God's name, we read, is exalted. We, we sang that this morning. Uh, we've sang about that this evening, his name being exalted. And we're not just exalting some letters that are put together. We're exalting God himself, whom his name represents. And when we, we exalt his name, we're saying that the whole, uh, our, our whole being of God, all that God is, is what we lift up and what we honor. So when the third commandment mentions the name of God, it is not merely talking about some letters put together, but about the God whose name it is, who he is, what he has done. And with those thoughts in mind, let's look at this third commandment found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. It says these words, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And this is God's word. The first commandment is about who we worship. The second commandment is about the way that we worship. And the third commandment is about the way that we talk about God. To misuse means to treat as worthless. You may have heard uh, the old phrase of this command, uh, do not take the name of God in vain. That's uh, how, how it's also spoken. And vain or vanity means emptiness. It's uh, what, what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities uh, or meaningless. It means empty or, 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 or meaningless or worthless. So to, to take God's name in vain or to misuse his name is to treat not just the name of God, but because it's his name, who he is, to treat him and what he has done as useless or worthless or empty. It's to, to trample on who God is. 
This is a very serious thing. So this commandment is about honouring his name. But before we uh, look how we do this, I want to draw your attention to something that's very profound and encouraging. And that's this, that God has revealed his name to us and invites us to use it. We're going to talk about misusing his name, but we mustn't forget that it's an, a, an amazing truth that God has revealed his name, so he's revealed himself to us and he invites us to use his name. And that's a wonderful truth because as sinful people who are deserving in God, of God's wrath, it's amazing grace, isn't it, that he allows us and calls us to call upon his name. And so there really is freedom in honoring his name. I was recently reading a, um, a history book about some uh, MI6 agents in the Cold War. And the MI6 agents had to assume an identity. So no one outside of their particular community of spies could know their name. They weren't allowed to say their name. They're not allowed to say who they are. Uh, they have to make it up, make up a name, uh, make up uh, a career, uh, make up all sorts of things. They couldn't really be known by anybody. So neither they or the people that really that knew them had any freedom together. It, it was, all of their life was based on lies and on unknowns. And God is not like that. He's not a secret being who we need to work in some kind of intelligence service to understand or know. He clearly reveals himself to us. And we are free to use his name and to call upon him. Now, when we honor the name of God, we're using his name as he invites us to do so. So many times we read the phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, which is not some magical formula, but rather calling upon who God is and on the promises he's made to work in us. It's, a, it's relying on God. It's, it's calling on God to do as he said he would do. So, for example, when we call on his name for salvation, we're saying to God, you, God, are a God who is forgiving and gracious and kind. You, God, have sent your son, Jesus, to die for our sins. You, God, have said that you will forgive our sins because Jesus has done that. So we, we call on him for forgiveness based on who he is, the forgiving God and what he says he will do, which is forgive us. We call on him for salvation and for him to act in mercy in our lives. And linked to this is the invitation that Jesus gives us when we pray. He invites us to call him our Father in heaven. The Almighty God is our Father. And it's through calling on his name, on our Father, that we are freed from sin, forgiven and given salvation. It's through praying to our Father that we have a relationship with God and, and, and continue throughout our lives as Christians to call on his name as we seek his help to live in the freedom that he has promised us. How amazing is it that the creator and sustainer of all things, the Holy One whose name is above all names, invites us to call him Father. That's wonderful, isn't it? And as his people, we want to honor our Father. 
Imagine that you've uh, been in an accident. Maybe uh, some of you have. And the paramedics come. And they, they uh, patch you up enough so that you can go uh, to the hospital. And you get to the hospital and they save your life. And you, you start to heal. And those doctors and nurses have, have helped you and they've restored you. And you leave the hospital and you go home. What are you going uh, to say about those paramedics and those doctors and those nurses about what they've done for you? You're not going to go home and... And, 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 and talk them down or say how bad they are or whatever. You're going to say, they're wonderful. They helped me. They, they, they did this and they did that and they gave me what I needed. And this particular nurse was wonderful. Or You're going to talk them up. And as Christians, we've been, we've been saved from, from sin and given eternal life. And we want to talk up the name of God. We want to say how wonderful God is. We want to honor him. Because of what he's done for us and, and all of the wonderful things he is. So there's a, a freedom in calling on God's name, in honoring him as he calls us to do. So how do we do that? How do we honor God's name? Well, in order to see how we honor his name, it's helpful to look at this command of misusing his name. How, in, in terms of understanding how we honor it, it's good to see how we dishonor God's name. And all of us has suffered from this failure of misusing his name. Now, many of us think of this command, uh, we think of, of swearing, don't we? Of using God's name as a swear word. And it is true that God's name is misused when it is used irreverently, when we are frustrated. Uh, people often uh, think of the commandment in this way, especially uh, non-Christians. When, I, when I'm playing squash um, against people and they do something particularly bad or frustrating, uh, sometimes they will uh, use swear words and sometimes they will use the Lord's name. And they know uh, that I'm a Christian. They don't ever apologize. Well, sometimes they do, but very rarely apologize for swearing. But almost always, if they use the Lord's name, they'll turn to me and say, oh, I'm really sorry, Steve. I, I, I realize that's offensive to you. So even they recognize uh, the Lord's name as something that's special. Um, at least they recognize it's special to me, even if it's not to them. And it's true that we should not be using God's name as an exclamation of frustration. But the commandment goes so much further than just uh, using his name as a swear word. So there's many ways that we break this command. Uh, first of all, we break this command when we make a name for ourselves. When we make a name for ourselves. So God's name is to be exalted. And as Christians, we dishonor God's name if we're wanting to exalt our own name. So, for example, when we're uh, doing something as a church and it goes really well, and we, when we want the praise for that success, we dishonor God's name. And because the Lord gave us any success that we do have, we're actually misusing his name by replacing it with our own. Now, it's not to say we don't thank people, of course, when they do good things. But when we ourselves want that praise instead of God, we dishonor his name. Or this can be when we pray out loud or we preach and teach. And we do so in order to make people think that we're really good. So we can pray in such a way that aims at not God and honoring him, but aims at people thinking, wow, what a great prayer they prayed. How, how holy must they be? 
Or this is when we care more for our own reputation than for God's. And so we shy away from talking to others about Jesus because we want people to like us rather than to honor God. So we break the command when we want to make a name for ourselves. We also break this command when we, we profess his name. We say we're followers of Jesus, we believe in him, but we don't live according to that profession. So we break this command when we profess his name, but we don't live it out. So when we're not living for God, but we claim to be Christians, this actually dishonors his name because we're representatives of that name. We're followers of Jesus. We're ambassadors of Jesus. And so when we're called to be that and we're not living that way, well, then it brings dishonor to the name that we're saying to represent. It gives the wrong impression to the world around us. If, we're, if, the, if every country has their ambassadors, if the United Kingdom ambassador to another country goes there and starts acting dishonorably, it doesn't just bring dishonor on that ambassador, it brings dishonor on our own country, doesn't it? Our country is dishonored by the behavior of a dishonorable ambassador. And the name of God is dishonored to the world when his ambassadors act in dishonorable ways. Uh, we also, thirdly, break this command when we do not fulfill oaths in his name. Uh, so in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, we read, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So this means that when we promise to do something, we need to do it. We're not supposed to swear by God uh, frivolously, but uh, certainly in courts, we've talked about this on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when we, we, we take an oath on the Bible, for example, uh, we need to make sure that we are honoring God's name as we do that. But as Christians who uh, profess the name of Christ, we need to keep our word. We need to say what we say, we need to do what we say we're going to do. A Christian is to be known as someone that is truthful and honest. Uh, fourthly, we break this command when we use his name thoughtlessly. And this was a real challenge to me when I was thinking about this, uh, because when, how often when we sing songs, are we not thinking about the words that are being sung? We're singing about the Lord, and the words are coming out of our mouth according to the tune that we're being led by, but those words that we're singing are not being thought about at all. How often does that happen to you? Certainly sometimes... I admit it happens to me. Or when we pray, we, we can pray and, and use the name of the Lord in such a way that we're, we're, not, we're not thinking about what we're saying and we're using it lightly. Uh, two types of prayer that this is common for is prayer at dinner time and prayer at bedtime, especially if you pray with your children. It's so easy uh, to, to pray the same thing and not just not think about it. But we need to, when we're praying to the Lord, think about what we're saying, not just say uh, anything that comes to our head or, or not thinking about what we're saying. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is helpful with this one. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to um, sit down for an hour and plan out our dinnertime prayers. 
uh, or anything like that. Uh, But it does mean just when we pray and when we sing, let us think about what we are praying and what we are singing without being thoughtless as we do so. Because thoughtless praying and thoughtless singing um, dishonors God's name. Uh, Another way that we break this command is when we use God's name to manipulate others to get our way. When we use God's name to manipulate others to get our way. So be very wary of someone saying to you, God told me you should do this. Or the Lord has spoken to me and he wants to do this. God's name can be given to all sorts of things that have no legitimacy. Uh, An example of this actually for our own church right now is the calling of elders. Uh, The the three elders that we currently have uh, are, are recommending elders to you. But we would be very wrong to stand here and say, God has shown the three of us which elders he wants. That would be misusing God's name. What rather we say is, we've prayed through this, we've looked through the names that have been recommended, the three of us, we believe that these would be good men uh, to be elders in our church, we recommend them to you, Uh, we would be confident that they'd be good elders, and we leave it to you also to pray over and to vote. What we don't say is God wants you to do this, if you don't do this, you're misusing, you're, 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 you're rejecting God. That would be totally wrong for us to do that. However, uh, after uh, the, so something happens, like say the elders are elected, we can say God was in that. We believe God was. Because when we look back, we can see God's hand. But beforehand, we can't just say God wants you to do this. That would be wrong of us. We can only authoritatively say something is from God that he has definitely revealed. So, for example, God does want you to love your spouse. If someone comes to me and says, Steve, what, um, how, you know, how should I treat my wife? I'm going to say, love her. God wants you to love your wife, of course, because God has revealed that to us. Uh, God wants you to work hard at school. God wants you to try your best. God's told us these things in his word. It's clear that he wants you to do those things. But where it's not clear in the scripture, we can't just assign God's name to it. We can be thankful for what God has done, but we can't use God's name to tell people what to do. Don't use God's name uh, to back up your own thoughts you know, just use your thoughts where necessary and, and pray that God would use them. But when you're giving people your, your opinion or your wisdom, of course, give it, but don't claim that it's God's. So don't use God's name to manipulate others. Uh, next, we break this command when we complain about God. So while it's fine to cry out to God with our anger and with our questions of why, when suffering comes or when we're waiting on him to, to work in a particular way, it dishonors God's name when we moan about him and moan about what he's doing in our lives. Complaining about God accuses him of getting things wrong and it's an appalling witness to the world around us. Christians dishonor God's name generally when we moan. If you're a moaner, it dishonors God. Stop it. <laughs> We should be people that want to honor God and thank God and, and, and be joyful, not, not, not whingers. Wine language 
It's bad language. It dishonors uh, God's name. So we break this command when we complain. Uh, We break this command when we use his name uh, to excuse sin. So when we make uh, his word say something that it doesn't say. So, for example, when we want to excuse sexual sin, we might say, well, God is love and he wants me to be happy. That dishonors God's name. It's using a phrase in the Bible that God is love and using it wrongly. God is love does not mean that you can just live however you want because he loves you anyway. It dishonors his name. If we look to the Bible to find ways of excusing sin in our lives, we're breaking not just the commandment that we're breaking by doing that sin, but also the third commandment of dishonoring his name. So I've given a a number of ways there. That list is not exhaustive, but I'm sure that all of us can look in our hearts and see that we have broken this third commandment. And God takes it seriously. He says in verse 7, if you look there, he will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Guiltless means uh, to leave unpunished. So it means that God will punish those who trample upon his character by misusing his name. He's not just going to let it go and say, "Ah, it doesn't really matter too much. In fact, uh, one example of this is in Leviticus chapter 24. Uh, This is what God says to the Israelites. Anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native born. When they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. Now this situation is specifically related to speaking against God's name through cursing it. But as an example of misusing God's name, we see how seriously God takes his name. It's not a light thing to dishonor the name of the Lord. And all of us are guilty of this and we will not go unpunished unless we find forgiveness and atonement for our sin in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the one in whom we see the fulfillment of honoring his name. Jesus fulfills this command in two major ways. First of all, by honoring the name, and secondly, by being given the name. He honored the name by always speaking rightly about his father and being concerned for his honor. Uh, A perfect example of that is when Jesus goes into the temple and he is angry there because the temple is being used as a marketplace. When people would go to worship God there, Uh, They were being exploited by being sold animals to sacrifice that were overpriced and the poor were exploited in order so that they could worship God. This made Jesus furious and we read how he turns over the tables in the temple of the money changers. Jesus was so concerned about this literal daylight robbery That this is what we read. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This concern is for the honor of his father's name. The temple was where they worshipped his father and it was being used as a place of exploitation and robbery. And Jesus was so concerned for his father's name that he turned over those 
tables of the moneylenders. Jesus also denounces those who professed God with their lips, but their hearts, we read, were far from God. But this perfect man who is God, who never dishonored God's name, he was dishonored himself, wasn't he? He was treated as worthless and spoken of against as he died on the cross. But through his sacrifice of obedience to his father, we receive the salvation and Jesus receives all the honor. And so as we read in Philippians chapter 2, uh, after coming on earth and uh, in humility and sacrificing himself for us, we read, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus now is the name that we honor as we honor God. So he honors the name. He is dishonored. But as he comes, uh, rises again, God gives him the name above every name. He honors the name. He is given the name. He fulfills honoring his name. So for us, now that we are forgiven by this sacrifice and are able through the power of the Spirit to live out God's commands, what does honoring God look like? What is the future of honoring his name? Well, God is honored as we live for him and with him always before us. So, uh, for example, Leviticus 22 uh, says uh, this, Keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. For I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy and brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So notice how keeping the commandments is linked to profaning his name. As we keep the commands, we honor his name. And then in the language of the New Testament, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all through the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we live for, for God, honoring his name as we keep his commands. As we, we, we live out those, those, those commands that he gives us, keeping him before us, we honor his name and we do it through the name of Jesus. Another way that we honor his name uh, is to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. He said, hallowed be your name, as, as what we should be praying for. So as we pray, we're asking God to work in us to bring glory to his name. We pray that he would be honored through our obedience, that he would be honored as we evangelize the world around us, that he would be honored in how we think and how we speak of him, that among one another, he would be honored in our conversations and in our love for each other. Now, this command is, as all of them, is impossible to keep without the help of the Holy Spirit. And we will still fight the battle for keeping this command for the rest of our Christian lives. There will always be temptations to dishonor his name. They'll be all around us. But there will be a time when this will be no more. Because at the end of Revelation, 
when talking about the, the ultimate destiny of believers when we are in heaven, uh, we read these words. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. We as Christians will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. This means that we will be marked as God's people forever. It's a way of saying we will always be known as God's people. We are sealed with his mark. But as we're marked with it as his people, with there being no sin, we will also reflect in our lives that very name that is imprinted on our foreheads. We will always honor him. We will never, we shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And that reality begins right now as day by day we live for Jesus, doing all that we do in word, in thought, and in deed to the glory and the honor of his name. So as we go out this week into the world, we go out as his ambassadors, and our mission is to honor his name. It's to show the world what God is like by living for his glory. And we're going to think about some of these uh, things that we've been talking about as we close uh, with our final two songs. Uh, our first song uh, talks of, uh, it repeats those words from Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus being the name that is uh, above all names. So we're going to sing Highest Place and then we're going to close finally with singing Jesus is the name we honor. And as we stand, uh, let's really focus uh, our minds, our thoughts on the words that we're singing. Let's not sing thoughtlessly as we've been uh, talking about, but rather let's sing with minds full uh, of Jesus, thinking of him and how we can honor him with our lives. So let's stand first of all and sing highest place. <laughs>